1: Welcome into the vault, our podcast covering the Baltimore Ravens. It is Wednesday, February 22nd, and we're about 24 hours removed from Todd Munkin's introductory press conference as the newest offensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens. And Sarah, as we've discussed now multiple times uh, here on the pod, both in our instant reaction and on this morning's vault, we just thought that, uh, man, he made a, a good first impression. and we're not done. Like we got to continue to dig into uh, what he's going to bring both from his time in the NFL as an OC play caller. And also his last few seasons at Georgia with obviously just a ton of, a ton of success.
2: Yeah. I mean, you said it when we were doing the, uh, the morning vault on it is, you know, we don't want to just come in with rose colored glasses. I mean, everything he said was exactly what he needed to say. And then some, he just came across as his own man. He came across as genuine. He came across as uh, knowledgeable, but like you said, now we need to dig in and kind of get into the nitty-gritty, and I think we've got the guests to do that.
1: I think so, too. It's former Georgia quarterback Hudson Mason, who has since, uh, since his post-playing days have begun and whatnot. He is a broadcaster down in Atlanta for 680 The Fan. And without further ado, let's bring him in as our featured guest. What's going on, Hudson? Appreciate you dropping by the vault, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. And so, you know, obviously, we've done our homework on you, right? But we wanted to give you a chance to kind of introduce yourself to, to our listeners. So, uh, you know, what have you been up to since your playing days? How's your broadcasting career going? And uh, we'll get into Munkin in just a bit. But give us a, give us the resume.
3: Started at Georgia in 2013. Uh, a little bit of 2013 when Aaron Murray just started the time went down and then uh, became the full time starter in 2014. And then uh, after my senior year at Georgia, uh, had a cup of coffee in the NFL in Washington and uh, and then bounced around the CFL for a couple of years and uh, have has really been working in uh, sports media ever since. I do a, a sports talk radio show here in Atlanta on 6A the defend, like you mentioned, and then um, in the fall, I'll travel around and call college football games for ESPN. So um, it's it's fun. It keeps me close to the fire, like I like to say, my passion is sports and you know, um, it's a it's as bad as close as you could get for a profession to coaching, uh, without getting burned. Uh, like I, I like to say, uh, by the firing and having to move around and all those other things. So I really enjoy it.
2: Yeah, coaching coaching is no joke. That is a grind, and you never yeah. know where you're going to be. Uh, Hudson, kind of help us know. You know, here in Baltimore, when it was announced that you know the Ravens would be moving on from the offensive coordinator Greg Roman. Fans were celebrating. What was it like in Georgia when news hit that Todd Munkin would be leaving you guys? What was the reaction there?
3: Well, if Ravens fans were celebrating, I would say Georgia fans were grieving uh, the loss of of Todd Munkin. Um, Obviously, I think, in my opinion, uh, he was the most important and impactful hire of Kirby Smart's era. Uh, at the University of Georgia. And defense has always been great under Kirby Smart since he's been here. The offense has not. And um, if you go back and kind of look at and study uh, previous hires that Kirby made uh, with different offensive coordinators, the offense was nowhere near as successful as as what they were really the last two years under Todd Munkin. And um, I think any Georgia fan that you sp- you speak with holds Todd Munkin in, in the highest regard Uh, for what he's been able to do over the past two years with, yes, a really talented roster, but also a former quarterback in Stetson Bennett that uh, was a walk-on and, uh, you know, was not the most talented guy when he got to Georgia and was not the most talented guy in the building, in the QB room when he left. Um, And Todd Munkin just did a remarkable job of helping Stetson get better over three years, um, crafting an offense to his strengths. And, um, and even, I mean, Kirby has a very – Coach Smart has a, has a reputation for at times being hard to work for. It's like Nick Saban, you know, demanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Todd Munkin handled it uh, really well and uh, was able to put together an offense that fit his player strengths but also what his coach wanted to be about, which was um, being balanced and creating explosive plays through the air. Uh, but also having this like physical nature, we're going to punch you in the mouth. And and we're, the, the the game is really still a line of scrimmage game. And uh, they, they just I think what you saw over the last two years is um, they were the most physical team in college football uh, the last two years. And I think that's why they got into certain games and they were able to win at a high level.
1: A lot of us have been trying to figure out, especially with Lamar Jackson's immediate future in Baltimore, uncertain at the moment of this taping. Uh, why? You know, Todd was inclined to come back to the NFL. And before I get your perspective on that, here's what he had to say himself at yesterday's press conference.
4: I think first is the challenge, doing against the best in the world. I think everybody aspires to have that challenge. If I was going to do it, it was going to be somewhere that was parallel to Georgia. Uh, Part of the reason I went to Georgia, one of the main reasons was because of culture, head coach, winning, really good on defense. Obviously trying to find a way to do it better on offense. So I thought that was a a parallel that I thought – Uh, fit me. Um, So irrespective of uh, who was or wasn't going to be on the roster, I felt like it was um, it was something I really wanted to do and and that I've always wanted to do. Um, So that doesn't mean that I'm not grateful for Kirby Smart and the coaches that I worked with there. I get way too much credit for our success. I came in there and the culture was already set. The players were already recruited. The staff that we put together was Tremendous in terms of our success, um, but this was what was next. And you can't be two places at once. That's just the way it is sometimes in life. Um, that yeah. was a great job, and um, and it was hard. You get close to the players, but you can't be two places at once, and this is what's next.
1: So, Hudson, do you find him to be as genuine as he comes across?
4: Yeah, you know, I I, um, I don't know
3: Todd Munkin as, as on a personal level like I do uh, some of the other coaches at Georgia – uh, that are on that staff, but have gotten to spend a little bit of time around them. Um, I know coaches that coached on his staff with him. Uh, I know players that that have played for him, and they all rave about the X's and O's coach. Uh, he's certainly very demanding, um, but uh, I think that's what you expect when you when you get to this level, the college level, and certainly when you get at the pros. Um, you know, guys want to be coached, and guys want to be pushed to the very best, and so. Um, I mean, I have nothing but positive things to say about Todd Munkin and, and I think his resume of developing quarterbacks and, and calling and plays uh, speaks for itself. So it's it's good timing that you guys actually had me on today because we, we played uh, this clip this morning on our show and I've heard some of the audio. And I think the thing that sticks out to me is why he chose the Ravens is about culture. Uh, and he's right. I mean, the culture was set at Georgia. He probably gets – he would tell you that he probably got a little bit too much credit. Uh, because they had really good players and uh, Kirby had established culture and the players were already had been recruited and the staff had already been put together. Um, but somebody has got to call those plays and call them at the right time and uh, to get them, you know, to, to manifest. And, and he was, he was the engineer and the architect of all that. And, and, you know, he spent time in the NFL before with the box. And then most recently I believe in 2019 with the Cleveland Browns and he talks about the dysfunction. And I think it's hard in the NFL, I'm a former quarterback, so I I like to talk about this and study it, Uh, these quarterbacks that are going to go in the first round. It's hard for anybody, but specifically a quarterback and a coach, to overcome organizational dysfunction. And I think he has learned from that uh, based on his time in Cleveland. And I think that, combined with the desire to coach the best in the world at what they do, is what drew him to the NFL. And I think after two years and going back-to-back national champions – uh, winning back-to-back national champs. I, I think he kind of looked at it as like, I've I've accomplished everything I can here. Um, could I wait around one more year at Georgia and go for a 3 P? Yeah, he, he could have. Gotten a, f- a little bit more money and gotten a raise to stay around. Yeah, but when you w- when the Baltimore Ravens, in my opinion, in an organization like that with stability uh, and a proven track record of stability um, come calling, plus the opportunity to – um, call plays, maybe, and hopefully I know for under Lamar Jackson, one of the best quarterbacks, a defense that's really good. I mean, there's a lot of pieces, much like Georgia, why he took the job at Georgia. The Ravens have a lot of attracting pieces of the puzzle that are already put together. And, you know, he's his, his coach is one of the most tenured Coach Harbaugh, one of the most tenured coaches in the NFL. You know, and, and so I think you just look at Ozzie Newsome and and how long Coach Harbaugh's been there. I think he's the third longest tenured coach behind Mike Tomlin and, and um, Bill Belichick. So You know, the NFL, the acronym stands for not for long for players and coaches. And that's the reality of it. And he knows that it's a bottom line business and a bottom line industry. And it's about results. But you'd be hard pressed, in my opinion, to find a a better culture and a better organization that's led with great leadership from the ownership down. And and I can just tell you, I think he values those things more than, you know, who's the quarterback going to be or who's the left tackle going to be.
2: Yeah, you mentioned that Cleveland dysfunction that's hurting the Ravens right now. Obviously, with Lamar Jackson contract situation here, yeah. with them giving Deshaun Watson the fully guaranteed contract. But let's assume for a minute that Lamar Jackson is in a Ravens uniform in 2023, and he's um, you know together with Todd Munkin. You talked about how Munkin helped Stetson Bennett and just bring him along from this walk on quarterback to a national champion and a Heisman uh finalist how do you see todd munkin and the lamar jackson marriage if it happens this year what what do you think how do you think that fit will be
3: yeah um you know without knowing the exact inside inside and outs and you know the a through z of of the ravens uh scheme or or really more personnel um you know i kind of watch the ravens loosely from a distance i've started to look at lamar jackson a little bit more as he's been linked to the atlanta falcons i know if uh if you, can't, if you can't figure it out in Baltimore, Atlanta would love to have them. Um, but, you know, I think the one thing that where there's a lot of carryover from what Todd Munkin did at Georgia to what I've seen out of out of the offense for the Ravens under Lamar Jackson is multiple tight end sets. And I don't know, again, if, if that's what something the Ravens are trying to get away from, uh, but it certainly seems as though that's been a strength of them. And, and if you look at the way Todd Munkin used Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington, Darnell Washington might be a first-round draft pick, the first tight end taken this year in the draft. Brock Bowers is an All-American and will be the first tight end drafted next year when he's eligible to come out. Um, When I watch the Ravens, I think of multiple tight ends, um, how they've used two to three different tight ends over the past couple years. And so I think that that 12 personnel package with two tight ends on the field would certainly be something where Todd Munkin could come in and if they were able to you know elevate and find a little bit more talent at the receiver position to help Lamar now you're talking about being able to stretch the field vertically but also attack the middle of the field with those tight ends and then you add in you know the run game concepts with Lamar's legs and what you can do and finding mismatches where you know two tight ends on the field is a heavy kind of heavy run uh, a run package but when you've got athletic tight ends that can, you know, cause mismatches with safeties and linebackers. I mean, it is a it's a son of a gun to try to defend. And so I think we saw that this year in college football, you know, the most popular personnel package in the NFL and college is what they call 11 personnel where you have three receivers uh on the field. That's because it's become a pass happy game and a pass happy offense. And so I think where you truly have an advantage as an offensive coordinator and you can create mismatches is when you've got two tight ends that are more like two receivers playing tight ends, you know, and so you, you can create mismatches because of their athleticism, but then you can still get into some of your run game stuff um, with two tight ends and run the ball when you've got numbers in the box. So I know that's kind of in the minutia and that's kind of deep. um, But that's one area where I thought immediately that uh, I know, you know, Greg Roman departing there and, and the run game principles and stuff, but that's certainly that two tight ends is where I think he would thrive with the Baltimore Ravens.
1: Listen, did you have the same play caller for your years at Georgia?
3: I did. Yeah. Yeah. Mike Bobo. He's, he actually is uh, the guy that replaced Todd Munkin now.
1: Okay. Yeah. I saw that. And the reason why I'm asking though, is because there was this hypothetical that was discussed at the press conference uh, on Tuesday regarding like, okay, well, if, if Lamar is tagged and he chooses to not show up for any off season activities, perhaps even like a chunk of training camp, who knows? Um, how behind would he be when it comes to the verbiage, the installs, the terminology, a new offensive scheme in a lot of ways for Munkin? You know, and I just wonder from your perspective, okay, you were lucky enough to have the same play caller throughout your years in Athens, but I wonder how, how tall of a task that would be.
3: Yeah. I I certainly think that it it would be a disadvantage for Lamar. um, And it would be certainly harder uh, when you're, when you're learning a new system. I kind of got to see this firsthand when I was in Washington, uh, when Robert Griffin and Colt McCoy were there and Kirk Cousins was there with Under Gruden and Sean McVay. And I remember uh, Colt McCoy at that time had been in the league, like I think it was eight years, and he had eight different coordinators in eight years, eight different systems. And, um, you know, it's very rare in the NFL to, to find continuity with the same play caller And when you can find it, man. You try to hold on to it as long as you can. But that offseason, that time during OTAs is so valuable for a quarterback that is trying to learn a new system and it's used a word that is exactly right. It's, it's the verbiage and the communication, you know, it's what Todd Munkin is the concepts that he's going to run in the run game and pass game are really no different than, you know, really what anybody else is running in, in college. Football. Nobody, nobody invented a certain play in football. Nobody's in, invented a certain offense. Everybody kind of generally does the same thing, you know, Greg Roman ran four verts. Everybody runs all go four verts. It's just a difference of what do you call that? And some guys call it, we called it switch. Some guys call it all go scene. Some guys, you know, everybody's got a different term. And so it's it's really like learning a new language. And um, And as a quarterback, I always thought that you wanted to be able to get to a place where you could call the play in the huddle or even be at the line of scrimmage and you could close your eyes and you could visualize the play like if i if i called like west right tight 364 dallas x banger like you want to be able to be like oh yeah i know the axis to the left and the banger is running a bank post and west right tight is this formation with a guy on a reduced split like that's where you really get to a point as a quarterback where you know it and that'll be the difficult part for for lamar is if uh if he is if he does miss some of the offseason or a bulk of it it puts a much more, a a lot more stress and an emphasis on the Ravens trying to get him caught up to speed during, during training camp. And then you talk about the continuity with the receivers too, you know, don't you uh, that's a big part of it as well, because it's not just the quarterback learning a new system. It's, it's everybody.
2: Yeah. There's going to be plenty
1: of new faces at that position, right? We're we're expecting there to be. There better be Bobby. Bobby. There there better be.
2: Uh, I mean, one of the reasons why you hope that they bring Munkin is is so that they can marry the brilliant run game that's going on with a passing game, and he can't do that without some some receivers. So so they better. Um, Hudson, can you help some of those that have PTSD here with 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 Greg Roman, who um, obviously had a brilliant rushing mind, but it didn't have a great passing attack. Obviously, you talked about the two tight ends. I guess the two biggest complaints about him, and I'm, I'm wondering what you think Munkin can do to kind of help us overcome these, these tragedies that we've been watching for years, is number one, he just couldn't marry that running attack with a passing game. It just never seemed like it could happen. That's number one. Can Munkin do that? And number two, Greg Roman, even when you thought like, well, at least we've got J.K. Dobbins and he knows how to run the ball, Greg Roman just did not have a feel for the game I feel like with play calling It would be certain situations And it's just like why is he calling this play What is he doing He's trying to like outthink the room So can you give us insight On Munkin's ability to just have a feel for the game And know what play to call And when to call it
3: Yeah
0: We're driven by the search for better But when it comes to hiring The best way to search for a candidate Isn't to search at all That's Indeed.com slash Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
5: Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network.
3: Yeah, it's a a tough question to answer because you're right. I mean, so much about being a great play caller is, is, um, you know, it's one thing to come up with a great idea and, Mm -hmm. you know, to take it from the meeting room and the whiteboard and then get it to the play call sheet, but then to call it at the right time is really a part of football and part of play calling that is extremely underrated. Um, And, you know, so many of these plays are designed to work against a certain look. And you're expecting and anticipating based on a lot of analytics. When are you going to get in a lot of film study? When are you going to get that look? And so if you call a pass concept that's designed to be quarters coverage and they're playing man, well, that's, that's not a great play call. You're not really putting your, your offense in a position to succeed uh, by calling that at the right time. So you're right. I mean, a characteristic that at least we saw from Todd Munkin is he was the timing of play calls, very opportunistic on understanding, when the play should be called, how it should be called, and using formations uh, at the line of scrimmage as a quarterback. I always love, and we saw this out of Todd Munkin too, is I always wanted to, what I call, collect information pre-snap at the line of scrimmage. Give me a motion. Give me a running back motioning in or out of the backfield, and let me see if it's a linebacker following. Let me see if it's a safety following, an indicator that tells me pre-snap, is it man or is it zone. That's, That's collecting information. And um, too many times, I think you see just co- coordinators call it and run it, you know, mm-hmm. like they're, they help your quarterback out. Right. These guys are so good at the at the next level of disguising coverage and they move around and you think they're doing one thing. And on the snap of the ball, they're actually playing this coverage. So that I love that out of Todd Munkin. It was a lot of uh, displacing through formations and shifts. And I would imagine that Lamar would love that as well. The one thing again, and, and I don't want to misspeak because I, I don't know the team as much as you do, but I'm a Falcons fan. I, I got to see, you know, our teams play at least once this year. Um, it seems as though they need to put a little bit more talent around Lamar at the wide receiver position. And um I think sometimes in sports and in football, we like Todd Munkin said, we we can get caught up in giving coaches uh too much praise and and not enough praise sometimes. And there's that balance. You know, Todd Munkin's a great play caller, but it's it's hard to overcome a lack of talent, no matter how right. good of a play caller you are. And um, it's a dependent position, the quarterback position is. And so I would imagine with the two tight ends they've got and the great defense and young running back, man, if they could find a receiver or two that would really take some stress off of uh, off of the run game in the middle of the field. And they can get defenses to play a little bit more too high looks because you have to honor the deep thread in the post and it goes over the top. That's really where I think the Baltimore Ravens would would take the next step offensively uh, and keep defenses on their heels and keep them from loading the box and things like that. I I don't know if you'll see if it's in Munkin's DNA to want to run the quarterback as much. Um, I think what Munkin loves is he loves a guy that can make off schedule plays as opposed to quarterback design runs. Um, And so somewhere in there, there'll be a balance. I don't know. You know, you're always worried about your quarterbacks getting hurt. But you don't want to take away that natural ability of Lamar and, the, and how hard it is to defend it when he can run the ball. So, and I'm sure there's there's area for Lamar to grow as a passer too. Um, but what you see Todd Munkin did and what you saw him do with a a guy that literally was not ranked coming out of high school was the modern day Rudy and Stetson Bennett, uh, and took him into a Heisman finalist a one of the best quarterbacks in Georgia history um, and might've turned him into a draft pick. It's one of the most incredible stories ever in college football. And um I think that's part of why it's all about developing the quarterback position. It's the most important position. And in- Lamar's already got a really high ceiling. Maybe maybe Todd can get just a
1: little bit more out of him. Sure, it will be interesting if the Ravens move on from their current backup uh, who's set to hit free agency, yeah. Tyler Huntley, and, and yeah. Stetson goes undrafted. Yeah. And next thing you know, he's getting an invite to camp. Yeah. You know, that would be a- – That would be really interesting. And Sarah, clearly Hudson knows Munkin, right? He ripped off one of his uh, six principles that we heard yesterday, (laughs) the (laughs) off-schedule plays by a quarterback. And Lamar's produced plenty of off-schedule plays as the three of us know over the last five years. So it is, it is pretty, um, it's fascinating to listen to Munkin like he almost recites things, whether it's his philosophy, his principles, uh, previous games. There's a clip going around game. the Internet. Yeah, there's like <laughs> an entire game drive by drive from his time in Tampa. So it's pretty interesting. But I got to wonder, with all of this praise that he's received from Georgia and obviously right now we're in our honeymoon stage right now, if you will, with Munkin in Baltimore. What were the fan? Were there any gripes throughout his time at Georgia? Any, any weaknesses that were highlighted, identified uh, as somebody who you know covered the team the last few years?
3: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, there's always gripes. <laughs> um, I think at times, and I I don't know if th- I don't think that this was so much a Todd Munkin problem as much as it was, um, maybe a philosophical. Uh, I don't even i want to call it a problem, but Georgia didn't use their receivers as much uh, as maybe other really explosive teams in college football. And, uh, but that's, that's kind of been a, it's hard, again, hard to say a problem because you're a two-time national champion. It's clearly not holding them back. Um, but there's been some questions about why can't Georgia produce first round draft picks at receiver, right? I mean, Alabama is Jerry Judy and Waddle and and all these guys and rugs and um, and Devontae Smith and, and and Georgia just went about things a little di- differently on offense. And I think that was more about Kirby Smart than it was Todd Munkin. Kirby is a defensive guy, and um, I think at times was okay with playing great defense and winning by three points and walking out with a win. Uh, and so again, I don't I don't know if it's a problem or a or a gripe, but in the NFL, you've in you've got to be able to create explosive plays and uh you gotta be able to do it especially through the pass game. And so um, Georgia never really had a receiver that was up for the Blitnikoff award or led the SEC in passing. Um, And I don't mean to say that to say that Todd can't develop receivers or his offense isn't receiver friendly. Like I said, I think that was more probably of Georgia was up in a lot of games they played very early on. Um, They didn't really have to throw the ball to get back into games very rarely in the second half. So they weren't padding a lot of stats. And the receivers didn't put up a lot of gaudy stats, so um, that that might be one thing that I think Georgia fans were always kind of wondering, like, "Hey, where's that? When's that next big time productive receiver going to come in and come out?" But again, it, it's hard to. I feel very nitpicky saying that because when you win two national championships, it's like, <laughs> you know, something's working.
2: Yeah, jeez, that that really does sound like like Baltimore. Hudson, we'll get you out of here on this one. Is there anybody offensively? In Georgia, going into the draft, that you feel like, hey, the Ravens should look out for Uh this guy and reunite him with Munkin?
3: Without knowing the the Ravens' needs necessarily.
2: Um, Ravens are a a, uh, philosophy of take the best guy available, so take need out of it. Yeah, just use a stud.
3: Where are they picking again? 22. 22. You know, um, a guy like Keely Ringo could be a nice pick uh, at corner there. Um, a guy who, if you go back and look at how he played in the Ohio State game against Marvin Harrison Jr. or um, now Marvin Harrison Jr. put up some really good stats. But what if you just look at the box where you'd say, "Oh boy, he got toasted." But there were a lot of times Keeley wasn't on him man to man when he when he caught some of those touchdown passes. Keeley Ringo, I think, is a guy who's probably looked at as the, maybe the second, third at the worst best corner in the draft, according to Mel Kiper and those guys. And um, again, that without knowing if they're really in the need for a corner. Um he, he, I don't know if he can play nickel. Um, so I don't know how how versatile he is. But if you have a need on the outside corner spot, Keely Ringo is long and can fly. I mean, he is six one four four. Um, very rangy, great ball skills. You know, the one of one of his most popular plays in, in Georgia history that will go down as maybe the most popular was the pick six against Alabama that sealed the national championship game, mm. and he he goes up and grabs it. And Kirby Smart is yelling at him from the sideline. He's going, get down, get down. He just wants the game to be over. And Keeley says, no, bump that. I'm taking it back to the house. And he runs it all the way back for a pick <laughs> six and seals the game. So I think it speaks to his ability to not only his ball skills and ability to go make incredible plays, but then what do you do after the catch? So you know, maybe a guy like Keely Ringo could be a good fit. Bobby,
2: not that's their biggest exactly what if they you ask need on me. defense. Yeah.
1: I, I, I know. It's not their biggest need team-wide, but, but definitely like, a need for sure yeah. defensively. So good stuff there. And, uh, hey, it goes without saying, Hudson, this was super, super insightful. We appreciate your time. And uh, let know, let let our folks know where they can find you. I know they can yeah. find you on the radio yeah. weekdays, right? 6 to 10, 680, The Fan in Atlanta. But uh, on social and, and anything else you got going on.
3: Yeah, H HMason14 on Twitter. And, um, yeah, just uh, if you're ever driving by Atlanta, pop on 6A, the fan radio. Maybe – I don't know if we'll be talking Ravens, but uh, (laughs) we'll be talking something about the NFL and the uh, dysfunctional Hawks. That's for sure.
1: <laughs> no kidding. I was tuning in this morning getting ready for this. And between the Nate Oates story in Alabama yeah. and the firing of McMillan and Trey Young's future yeah. and all that stuff, I was like, dang, he's yeah. got a lot going on down there. So we appreciate yeah. you putting on your your Georgia football hat this morning. Yeah. Thank you guys. Thanks for having me.
2: Appreciate it, Hudson. All Thank
3: right, you. we're
1: gonna go ahead and finish up this episode so you can just dump and uh man, partner. That's that's exactly what we were looking for, right? Like the, at one point he apologized for giving us the minutiae. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, no. I was like, no, 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 no. Like <laughs> We don't need to apologize. <laughs>
2: yeah. No, we've gone through all the surface level stuff. It's this, that's what this episode is. It's, it's digging in. It is, it is interesting. Like when he talks about Georgia and Munkin had already kind of uh, said this, that they're very parallel organizations, one in the NFL and one one at college, but just the way he talked about him, he's like, well, they really haven't gotten him receivers. <laughs> it's like, I know, dang, man, dang. And we know that he can use receivers. We've seen him at Tampa Bay with them and we've seen him uh, in Cleveland with them and get some a thousand yard seasons and this and that. But I guess what it, it at least tells you if the front office blows wide receiver, again, and I really hope they don't, that was one of the vows at the NFC's of the press conference. Let's hope they don't blow it. But let's just say that they find themselves in a position again, whether it's through injuries or whatever, that they don't have a huge receiving core. It is comforting that he can create a passing attack with the tight ends, you know? And so, man, you just hope that he's not relegated to that. But the way he talks about defense, the way they don't have wide receivers, the way they have stability – uh, all that kind of stuff. I was like, man, he really is, he, you know, then he brings up a corner, which was like perfect for the Ravens outside of oh, receiver. Like if there's a if there's a second biggest need, it is an outside corner. This guy not sitting down, that sounds like an Ed Reed when Bill Bell um, when uh Billick would tell Ed Reed, you know, sit down, sit down. And Reed's like, forget that. I'm gonna go score. So uh okay. that's somebody that we got to go study now because that does sound like a pretty good pick. You were loving that, yeah. Oh, I was eating that up. You know that. that. You know that.
1: (laughs) I mean, it's just so fitting. And then, you know, I I think another big takeaway for sure. And who knows? Maybe we can dive into some of this in a in a future vault later this week, because I thought he gave us just great stuff. And specifically, he doubled down on something that Todd touched on just briefly during his introductory press conference. That if Lamar were to kind of hang back and skip some of these these offseason activities. There is going to be a, you know, a a curve, a learning curve, because this is a new offense. I I understand that he ran a pro style offense at Louisville, but like, like Hudson said, from a terminology standpoint, verbiage standpoint, I don't care if you're, you know, a veteran somewhere in the middle, like five years in like Lamar rookie undrafted, whatever, there is going to be a learning curve there.
2: Yeah, no, it's 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 interesting because I know that you and I had these discussions when Lamar uh, didn't come to some of the offseason uh, last year. And I still do stand by this. Like, I didn't think that was a big deal. He's been in, in Greg Roman's offense. Right. He had been working out with his receivers, you know, on his own. Um, it's run first. I really didn't think it was a big deal. And so when people made a big deal out of Ray Lewis doing it or Ed Reed, I was like, this is all overblown. But when we're talking about a brand new offensive system, that's that's a different animal. And so I feel like when Todd Munkin was like, ah, oh, it's just football, uh, he's downplaying it a little bit, you know, for Lamar's sake, just in case, you know? And so um, he's not going to call out Lamar and and be like, you know, he hasn't even talked to Lamar yet. So he can't go out there on a limb and be like, yeah, Lamar's got to be here. Lamar's got to be here. And then, it, you know, that's that's he can't say that, you know? So even when you have, when the Ravens have signed defensively veterans that have come in time and time again, they'll be like, I got to be here. I got to be there for these offseason voluntary camps. Cause it's a brand new defense. I got to meet these new guys. And if Lamar does have new receivers, I mean, it would be a big deal this time around if Lamar held out. Now that's his, that's his own choice. I'm not saying that he shouldn't, because if that's what he's doing to get the contract he desires, that's his prerogative, but we have to call a spade and spade and say if he takes that prerogative and ends up playing here ultimately under the tag, it's going to hurt, and we're going to see that through the first at least quarter of the of yeah. of the uh, of the season.
1: Still a long way to go. We know that the franchise tag designation window, the annual one uh, put forth by the NFL, we're only two days into it as we tape this on the 22nd. It runs through March 7th, so there's a two-week window for the team to either place the exclusive – or non-exclusive tag on Lamar Jackson. So with that, I think we should probably uh, stick a pin in this one. But uh, I thought that was, hopefully our vault listeners enjoyed that one because we sure did. I thought it was insightful, informative, and um, he's transitioned pretty dang well to to broadcasting. He's almost got like a broadcasting voice, which was probably helpful in the huddle. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so, oh, I'm sure this is easier on his throat than in the huddle, the way they yeah. got to call those out. So, yeah, no, he's... He's, he's He's good he knows what he's doing he has the background there and uh, really glad that he was able to come on today
1: as always you can hit us up via email at baltimore ravensvault at gmail.com We have our mailbag episode for the month of February coming up next week so if you've signed up for one of our Q and a level tiers on Patreon, which we would love for you to check out if you haven't already done so and you're interested in supporting what we're building. Be sure to submit that that monthly Q&A for us to include in that episode. And anything else that I'm missing, I, I feel like uh, we've been pretty thorough here. but I have a
2: question good? for you that I think will help fans too, because I, I imagine they might, might have the same question. So if somebody has signed up for the mailbag tier on Patreon, we will, for sure, get their question in. People who just otherwise submit it through email or other places, we might get to it. Um, so for those that have signed up for it, where do they just submit it to the normal place at our email, or do they submit it through Patreon? so we know that it so we know we have we putting it in?
1: yeah, that's a good question. So you, you can do either option. I think m- most helpful for us is if you use Patreon as the platform that it is, which you can hit us up directly through, through DMs. Now, if you send uh, us an email at Baltimore Ravens at gmail.com and the subject line is Patreon supporter, then we're obviously going to get to that and okay. we won't skip over it. it as if, and if it wasn't labeled or marked, then there's a chance that you may not get it in. So right, right, I would okay. say priority one is, is hitting us up through Patreon because there's literally an instant message feature that, that you can get right to us and we'll check step two if you don't like that or you're not you know technically savvy or whatever and you want to do through email just make sure it's it's patreon supporter you know vault supporter through patreon something along those patreon lines mailbag the subject something line. like
2: that yeah yep okay cool
1: yep so yeah appreciate the clarification there and uh as always we appreciate your support thanks so much we're, we're chugging right along here as free agency approaches of course we're going to have plenty of draft coverage coming up as well we're trying to Uh, track down Daniel Jeremiah of course former Raven scout I know you overlapped with him if I'm not mistaken in Baltimore for a little while so we'll we'll certainly try to get in touch with him and as always we appreciate you being with us here inside the vault